Welcome back, everybody. Um, welcome back to this to this wonderful show with your wonderful hosts. Um, once again, if you don't know, my name is Jose. And I'm Sam. And we're your hosts. Um, if you're new to this podcast, uh, I hope there are some new people. Uh, we're here, two Catholic, traditional Catholic men, just want to talk about normal stuff that revolves around uh, Catholicism. Sam explains it a bit better. Okay, yeah, so uh, we're two Catholic guys, and uh, we said in the last episode, uh, we're two common Catholic guys. You know, we're not uh, ordained, we're not priests, we're not deacons, we're not theologians. We're just two lay Catholics trying to go about living life in the most adherent way to the church possible, but while still participating in all of the joys that the earth has to offer in the um, in the vein of G.K. Chesterton's philosophy, the pine for pipe and the cross can all fit together. That's why we need the show that way. We want to we want to share our experiences as two common lay Catholics and what that looks like and what that feels like and what our experience is with being Catholic, but also living life in the world but not of the world and we're not trying to be like the big names out there right like pines of aquinas or anything like that we're we're, we're trying to be unique we're trying to bring our own touch into this whole new um era of podcasting i i as i call it right um and we like to do things a little different which uh some of those little things would be a prayer in the beginning uh in latin of course so we're going to do a um the sign of the cross of course and a hail mary and a glory all in latin so if you don't know latin you'll get to learn it here in nomine patris et fili et spiritus sancti ave maria gratia plena dominus tecum benedicta tu in mulieribus e benedictus fructus ventris tui jesus Santa Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostre. Amen. Gloria Patri, et Fili, et Spiritui Santo, sicuter in principio, et nunc et semper, et in secula seculorum. Amen. All right, my guy. So, um, it's it's a little late. We're both parents, um, for those who don't know. In the first episode, we spoke about a little bit about ourselves. Uh, we're both dads. I have two kids two boys um one is about to turn two in january and i have a two month old oh two and a half month old um and a beautiful wife and um and i'm, I'm about the same uh, it's actually it's coincidental me and jose have almost identical ages of kids there so i have a uh, he just turned two a couple days ago a two-year-old and then uh where we differ is jose has two boys i have a boy and a girl now and so I've got a girl that's coming up on two months here in about a week or so. Um, so, yeah, we have uh, two very similar aged children and uh, two very similar Catholic, you know, lives, wives, children and family dynamics. And so, yeah, pretty cool. And so in order for us to podcast and to record, we have to do it late at night, which um, it's a sacrifice that we both are making but at the same time i feel like and i can speak i think for you too that uh it's worth it um it's it's something that kind of brings a little bit more of interest into our lives um so it's late we're tired long day uh and actually for this podcast i actually just opened up a another beer (laughs) Uh, 
you know, I mean, I don't even have a drink yet. <laughs> oh, well, you're late, man. Come on. And I this is not to this is not to encourage you to get drunk or anything. We're not drunk. Uh, it's actually because today's topic is alcohol and how mm-hmm. Catholicism is involved with it um, and what what people think as misconceptions. Um, and we're going to correct that here. And I'd like to actually introduce Sam as the main speaker because he's an ex-bartender and he actually brews his own his own stuff sometimes. So mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll interrupt him here and there with some historical facts or whatever. But for the most part, he's the expert here. So, yeah, um, I bartended for quite some time. Uh, I wouldn't call myself – Jose is flattering me, but I wouldn't call myself a true expert expert. But uh, I uh, bartended for a couple of years, worked in the alcohol industry, just in general, outside of bartending. And so got a lot of good training outside of that. But being a practicing Catholic, right, uh, we approach alcohol in a lot different way than the world approaches alcohol. But that really started for me when I first started drinking. Um, So I think I've told Jose this story before, but um, I think to start, uh, we need to talk about our introduction to alcohol and why Catholics view it the way we do and why we differ from Protestants in our ability, some Protestants, excuse me, some Protestants in our ability to enjoy alcohol without any moral quandary. So um, when I was in college, um, I met a good friend of mine, he's still a good friend, who introduced me to beer making. So before I met him, I thought all beer was, you know, the uh, typical Miller Coors Bud Light, uh, you know, American light beer that tastes like someone threw up in a bottle of water, carbonated it, and let you drink it. You know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know, I know there are going to be some fans of light beers out there, but I, I just can't stand light beers. They don't taste very good. They don't even taste like real beer. Okay, like question. Have you ever tasted Yangling Flight? I love Yangling. Yeah, Yangling is one of my favorite go-to, uh, like, I'll, I'll, well, I'll call it uh, crunchable beers, right? Yangling, okay. Shiner, Dos Equis, all of these are crunchable beers. They're, um, Yangling and uh, Dos Equis, they are lighter beers, but they're not American light lagers, right? And so they, they still retain a good amount of taste to them. Mm. Um, now, don't don't let me sound too snobby here, because I still drink Pabst Blue Ribbon from time to time as well, and Pabst Blue Ribbon is about in the same vein. It's just a little, just just a little tastier than your traditional American drink. Um, but I digress. Um, I got into beer making in college when I met my good friend, and I realized that beer could taste good. It doesn't have to taste like that nasty, um, you know, like watered down, whatever. And uh, you could actually make it taste good. You just have to put the effort in yourself. And uh, the beer I tried, um, it was was a honey wheat beer that he made. And so it had like a touch of sweetness and like a good body to it. And it was just honestly super delicious. Years later now, I can still vaguely remember, you know, the taste that he was going for and what I found delicious about it. So um, 
he got me into beer making and I started making beers with him. And to this day, we still uh, get together on occasion whenever we have time and we'll brew some beers. Now, what beer brewing taught me? Beer brewing was my introduction to alcohol. Beer brewing taught me what I'll say is the correct Catholic approach to enjoying alcohol, to appreciate alcohol in the way we as Catholics are supposed to appreciate alcohol. Because what I learned in my beer making is this is a substance that I put time and work into, that I chose the particular wheat that were going to, you know, be a fermentable for this beer to make it tasty. I chose the amount of flavoring that I was going to put in, whether I want it to be super bold or a little light or a subtle flavor. Um, I spent the time watching the temperature to make sure that it doesn't come up too hot so that it's going to scound the beer and make it taste, you know, icky and bitter, uh, but it, it stays at just the right temperature. I make sure to make sure uh, to disinfect and clean all of the equipment so that it doesn't have bacteria growing it and it doesn't, you know, what's called skunk the beer or anything like that. And so this is all a very, very hands-on and careful process that you have to go through. And it's a long process. I mean, the beer brewing the day, uh, it, it's about a whole day's worth of brewing you're doing. And then you won't be able to enjoy the product of that brew until about three weeks out at a minimum. If you're if you're uh, if you're really waiting for it to um, ferment and carbonate fully, it could be up to a month. Um, but that is not something that you just drink to get drunk, right? I put my blood, sweat, and tears into making this substance and making it delicious, and waiting a month before I can actually drink it. And I'm not gonna I'm not just gonna grab that and say get drunk. No, I'm gonna sit back. I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm going to drink it and notice the nuance of the flavor that I put into the beer. I'm going to appreciate the wheat that went into, you know, flavoring this beer that some farmers grew to, you know, have for this product to come about. Which answers so, the first question that many people have. Is drinking beer or alcohol a sin? The answer is no. It's not a sin. On the contrary, in the Bible, it even... It's not that it encourages you to drink, but it does encourage you to celebrate with a nice wine, uh, a good wine, um, but not encouraging you to get drunk. Right. And I mean, if you think about the um, if you think about the uh, stories of the Bible, especially in the wedding of Cana, you know, consider what, what happened at the wedding of Cana with Christ's first miracle, the changing of water into wine. It says, I think, um, and, and again, excuse me, I'm, I'm a great Catholic, and so I don't remember my exact Bible knowledge. But I think it says he fills uh, four water basins that people use to wash themselves with. And these were giant, massive jugs of water. You know, you're talking like a barrel's worth of water, probably, in each of those things. And a barrel is something to the effect of like a hundred and some odd gallons so this is a ton and a ton and a ton of water that he turned into wine because the celebration called for it because they were there not so that they can get plastered and drunk as a matter of fact the bible does condemn getting drunk if you look back i think it was noah that got drunk and his sons had a clothing because he got drunk and naked and it's this weird scene way back in genesis 
Um, but the Bible condemns getting drunk. The Bible does not condemn drinking. Jesus drank. Jesus drank um, at a wedding feast, and they were there and they celebrated. And so, when we as Catholics approach alcohol, we're not doing it because we're getting drunk. That would be sinful. We're doing it because we appreciate the fruits of our labor, and that—that that right there—is again a nice Chesterton approach to um, imbibing and consuming the fruits of the earth, right? The things that we make are good. And Chesterton also, um, I can't find a quote. I, I had it the other day and I lost it, but he says something along the lines of, um, "Drink when you don't need it," meaning. And then he continues on in the quote to say, celebrate by drinking something. Um, meaning, if, you're, if you are in a way uh, wanting and desiring to drink, to get drunk, don't drink. But if you're using it as a form of celebration, as a form of, um, of yeah, just a straight up celebration, um, it's okay for you to drink. Um, and once again, I guess we're going to touch a little bit later on, but I had a different way of drinking before. Uh, my way of drinking was to get drunk. My goal was to get drunk. And of course, things change. I grow older. I, be, I begin to see uh, something different. And uh, now it's different now. I, I drink maybe one, two beers uh, in a form of celebration, or maybe I'll drink a little bit more. But never to the point of drunkenness. I'm not going to sit here and lie and tell you, oh, yeah, I don't drink. I don't drink no more than two. Uh, socially, for example, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, I drank, uh, I believe it was two beers. And then uh, they brought out some whiskey. And I drank some whiskey uh, mixed with uh, some some uh, Coca-Cola, right? Um, around a fire. You know, a form of celebration with family. Uh, but never to the point of drunkenness, right? That's that's the sin. The sin is drunkenness, not the celebration itself. Right, because we can drink alcohol and we can enjoy the alcohol without letting it affect us to the point that we lose our sense of reason. And that right there is the problem, is when you're drinking so much that you don't even know what's going on. You lose your sense of reason. You can't have full faculties of you know your, your mind that God gave Exactly. And that's something, I guess, that... that many Catholics also get wrong because I, I hear it so much uh, from Catholics where they they constantly attack those who drink some sort of alcohol. And it's like, wait, no, the thing is that we can. The problem is abusing it. But anyways, I think I cut you off in your story. No, 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 no. Uh, I, I, I honestly kind of lost my train of thought there. Um, well, I finished up the beer story. But um, what uh, we wanted to talk about something after that. Um, did we want to touch on whiskey or just uh, um, more beer? Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, yeah. What did you have in mind? I think we should talk about uh, just alcohol in general. Yeah, whiskey. The different types of, of whiskeys. Now that we've cleared up that it's not a sin to drink something, let's talk about the good stuff, right? Let's talk about the good whiskeys. What would you recommend? I mean, I I'm a big whiskey guy myself. Um, I don't know how to make it, but I I can tell you I have pretty I have a pretty good uh, knack for uh, whiskey, which brings me to invite all those, especially you know 
friends who ha- who may have breweries or friends who mm-hmm. who may have uh, cigar lounges, cafes, whatever, whatever the case may be. If you'd like to invite us to your place to to create a podcast, a show there, record an episode, um, hit us up. I'll put the link down below. If you if you're listening on YouTube, I'm gonna put the link down below to the Spotify for podcasters where you can actually reach out to us and um, and send us your address uh, or invite us or whatever you'd like us to do. Even to um, if you'd like to sponsor us. All the bet the, the better, you know. Um, you can sponsor us. We can, you know, advertise for you um, because it is within our niche, right? Um, and I know several friends who actually own, or well, not several, just one, <laughs> who owns a brewery. Um, and I'd like to, you know, another shout out. You know, if you're around so- uh, Socorro, Texas, uh, in El Paso, just. Passed by his beer, the Three Missions Brewery. Uh, he makes some good beer. He constantly posts new beer that he's making, and it looks delicious. I just, I we live in Dallas, so it's like a ten-hour drive or whatever drive it is to El Paso. Yeah, I'm from El Paso, so I know that drive real well. It's it's a good ten-hour drive on a good day with no stops. So see, ten-hour drive. So it's a it's a pretty long drive, and uh, maybe one day we'll be able to record an episode there who knows but um but yeah anyways let's get back to the whiskey and the beer topic so okay so yeah actually let's start with this um because i remember you asked me this question before and um let's talk about this uh let's break down the difference between all of your types of alcohol that we have because yeah we've established us as catholics we can enjoy the fruits of our labor and alcohol is one of those fruits well what type of alcohol can you enjoy? What type of alcohol are there to enjoy? What should I uh, dive into? What should I uh, drink? What should I, uh, uh, you know, start with? If you're someone out there that's listening that you you maybe were on the fence about drinking or you don't like alcohol um, or you want to know, hey, where do I start? Maybe you're going to turn 21 soon and you want to know what's a good place to actually have as an entry point. Let's break down the types of alcohol um so we can talk about the things that we enjoy and how they're made because one thing that i find really really cool is how much modern alcohol actually derives from catholic origins right um so yeah let's let's start there okay well uh, here let me touch this history part real quick so of course i'm gonna i'm gonna start from the moment Catholicism enters, okay, which enters through the monks, through uh, who pretty much cr- began to brew their own beer in order to maintain their monastery. Uh, the rule of Saint Benedict, uh, which pretty much states that the, each the monks have to maintain the monastery through works of their own hands, meaning the only way for them. Besides beer, they had other things, but the main source of money was the beer, um, the brewing and everything. But also, they needed to give to the poor. So, by brewing this, by brewing their own beer, they they would make the money to maintain the monastery and at the same time give to the poor and uh, the rest. Right, whatever was left would go to the poor. Um, now. Fun fact, the best beer in the world 
is made by Trappist monks. That's a fact. Not a lot of people know that. Um, I looked up the price of the beer, and I think it was close to like two hundred dollars. Um, just just a can of beer, a twelve ounce, was pretty expensive. Um, it might be more expensive. I, I think, well, I think I think that's actually on the black market because I can touch on this a little bit because it's one of my dreams to try this beer. Um, the reason it's that much is because it's one of the rarest beers in the world. Um, do you know why, Jose? I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think you and I spoke about this, and uh, it has to do with once they they reach the amounts they need for the monastery and then get to give to the poor, they stop brewing that beer. Am That's I correct? Right. Absolutely. And so um, this is this is a really cool touch point on what Jose just said. What the rule of Saint Benedict that monks use to uh, provide for themselves, you see that in modern monasteries all across the world. Again, it's not always beer. It's not always alcohol. Sometimes it's soap. Sometimes it's candles. Sometimes it's just anything else that they can produce. But in the case of beer, there's a really, really cool uh, coincidence that happens um, in Belgium in the town of West Vleteren. I probably butchered that pronunciation because I have no idea how to pronounce Belgium. But the town of West Vleteren in Belgium is home to a Trappist monastery that brews what is considered by almost every beer expert in the world to be the best beer in the world, best tasting beer in the world. That's West Lettering 12. Now, um, yeah, the black market might be like $200, but the last, last I checked, their prices per case were pretty reasonable. And why I say per case, um, here's how it works. Here's how you get this beer if you want to try to tr taste the best beer in the world. So. As Jose said, they only produce as much beer as they need to run their monastery and give to the poor. So if they have a really, really awesome brew year and they brew all of their beer by July and they sell everything and sell all their beer and uh, they make all the money to uh, house themselves and fund themselves and give to the poor, they don't make any more beer. They're done. They stop. No more. So they will not make a drop more than they need to just keep themselves afloat. So there's scarcity right there because of that. Uh, two is in order to buy this beer, you need to pre-order it a month in advance at least. Minimum of a month in advance, you need to pre-order it. Three, you can only pre-order one case at a time two if they're generous and if they have an excess amount of beer so maximum two cases at a time you can pre-order to get this beer three they don't deliver they don't ship you have to go to belgium to pick up this beer if you're not in belgium if you're not there at that monastery to pick up the case of beer that you pre-ordered then you have one other opportunity, and that is on the off chance, uh, because they have a gift shop in the monastery, from what I understand, the off chance that they have a couple of extra bottles in the monastery um, for you to purchase is the only other way you're getting that beer. And that doesn't happen often either. Well, that's a so, good excuse to plan a trip to uh, for vacation to Belgium. Oh, you have no idea. Uh, one of my bucket list trips is to go to Belgium 
and do nothing but visit the towns where there are Trappist monasteries and go on a beer tour. That would be so awesome. I could spend a week doing that. Just, okay, let's go to this town, Trappist Monastery. What does their beer taste like? This town, Trappist Monastery. What does their, what their beer taste like? Um, that, a, that tour, be a, a tour of beer and prayer. Heck yes, dude. Yeah, we are. We're, we're praying in the morning. We're praying in the morning, and uh, we're drinking by night. <laughs> Makes sense. But yeah, that is that is the best beer in the world. That is Trappist Monasteries. You know, they are they are awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, but uh, let's see uh, where where to go from there. So yeah, that is that is Catholicism's awesome uh, entry point into the world of alcohol. But again, it doesn't just stop with beer. There are also monks that make several different lines of spirits. And there's also Catholic influence in those various lines of spirits. So if any of you guys know what chartreuse is, right? Chartreuse is probably the most, you know, the, I want to say the most famous Catholic made spirit um, because it's actually named after the monks that make it. Chartreuse. Carthusians. A, yeah, a, uh, um, a translation, a transliteration, whatever you want to call it, of the Carthusian monks. So yeah, Chartreuse comes from Carthusian monks that brew it, and they have a secret recipe that only the Carthusian monks in France at the particular monastery know, and only like two people in the world will ever know it at one time. Um, and uh, there's actually a short, uh, yeah, there's actually a shortage right now. I, I, I think because one of the monks died. Well, good I, luck I, trying. I, well, good luck, good luck, good luck trying to take it out of them. Anyways, they don't talk. So, but um, but yeah, that's um, that is uh, an, another contribution is, is chartreuse. But beyond that, and I wish we were doing the, the video because I have the bottle here to show you. Um, Catholic culture, if I may call it that, has also influenced alcohol production in um, you know, like even in secular ways. So, I, I have a bottle up here in my liquor shelf of a liquor called Frangelica, right? Most people know it by that name, Frangelica, okay? Frangelica. Jose, are you familiar at all with Frangelica? Never heard of it. So, Frangelico is probably, is, is, it's the brand name Hazelnut Liqueur. It's the most well-known hazelnut liqueur. It is an absolutely delicious hazelnut liqueur, might I add. It is fantastic as a nice after dinner like dessert shot or dessert sipper um and it is just you know a beautiful beautiful drink and the bottle is really really cool look the bottle up right now so you know what i'm talking about oh yeah i'm looking at it right now yeah so the bottle is shaped like a particular monk and every bottle it's really cool it has a uh, it has a cincture right so that's uh it's got a little rope belt that, that most that those monks wear and it, it's maybe hard to make out but jose um any idea what the shape of that that habit is do you know uh, what type of monk that might be a franciscan it is not a franciscan but you're close let's see franciscan uh a friar of mm-hmm. carmelite nope Mm, strange. Yeah, the color. 
All right, I'll spoil it because you can't tell because the bottle itself is brown and that's going to throw you off. But yeah. believe it or not, that is the shape of Dominicans, right? Oh. Now, here's the story behind Frangelico. So, I don't believe that Frangelico is made by monks. At least not anymore. I think it might used to have been, but now it's not. Frangelico is owned by Brown Foreman, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and all that means, Brown Foreman is one of the biggest whiskey owners in the world. They own a ton of brands of whiskey. So if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. It's, it's not important. Um, but uh, Frangelico is owned by one of the biggest, you know, spirits and whiskey owners in the whole world um, because they are no longer produced by monks, but I think they used to. But the story is Frangelico is a secret recipe that when the inventor of Frangelico um, came up with the liquor, the modern day liquor, he claimed that he found a recipe from an old ancient monk. I say ancient like he's that old. He's a Dominican friar, so he's you know, middle, middle ages or later. But he found the, uh, the recipe from uh, a monk from the Middle Ages, and he followed that recipe to a T so that this liqueur is supposedly the exact same type of liqueur that that monk, um, uh, I keep saying that, that that friar would have made and drunk himself. Do you hmm. have any idea who that friar is, Jose? Hmm. Uh, Frangelico? <laughs> Uh, yes. <laughs> Actually, yes. But you're not pronouncing it right. Um, so, uh, that friar, the, I guess the modern translation would be Fra Angelico. And the Fra, um, and then Being I'm, brother. I'm, yeah, I'm not a linguist, so please forgive me, but I think the Fra comes from friar. So, um, yeah, for, but say, yeah, brother, exactly. So Fra Angelico who was a um, Middle Ages Dominican who's very, very well known for a lot of his artistry and I think writings as well. I think he wrote a lot of uh, poems or other good literature. Um, I need to read more on Fra Angelico, but I know definitely his art. So uh, Fra Angelico was, yeah, a Middle Aged Dominican who produced beautiful, beautiful art and so popular um, or at least his recipe was so popular that he's immortalized, even though people don't know it, right? Like, I, I could go to some, I could go to some like cocktail bar in the middle of in the middle of downtown Dallas. They'll probably have a bottle of Frangelico, but more than likely, no one that's there is a Catholic who knows the origins of, of Frangelico. It's named after Fra Angelico, a Dominican monk. So people have a dedication to him, whether whether or not they know it. Oh yeah. This is a Dominican monk that I'm drinking a spirit that's supposedly uh, attributed to him. Um, but co how cool is that? You know, how pretty cool, cool. The influence of Catholic culture on uh, the drinks that we make today, even the secular pe things that people drink. Like all these people are probably getting drunk and not knowing that they're getting drunk to Catholic stuff. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I they may be getting drunk, but they're at least getting drunk with uh you know the prayers of some holy people dedicated to them hopefully praying that they pull out of those drunken ones hopefully and then just to kind of enter into a debate with you the the bottle resembles a habit of a franciscan friar according to wikipedia oh yes because it's brown 
but Fra Angelico himself was the Dominican. Dominican. Okay, and okay. It, you know, it, Just, it's it's named. It's literally named after him. It's literally his name on the bottle. So, oh yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh-huh. Okay, I just I just found his little thing. Yep. Yeah, you're right. I just wanted to clear something out that way in case someone came back and said no, it's a Franciscan. Well, yeah, again, it's brown, so it looks like a Franciscan because the bottle is brown. But uh, but because it's named after Frangelico, I'm sticking with the story. That, no, 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 that's supposed to be a Dominican habit. It's just that you can't, you know, like it's harder to make a white bottle. Ah, uh, okay, okay. All right, so <laughs> so let, let let's get into the topic of uh why like what's the difference between a whiskey, bourbon, uh wine, uh beer, and all this stuff? What what makes them so different? From okay. my understanding, it, it has to do with one the way they're brewed, and two the the alcohol level. I think uh, there's certain that's why there's alcohol percentages. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, maybe I am, but uh, from my understanding, uh, if it's stronger than seven percent, it's considered a wine or something like that. Um, okay, yeah. So, so let's get that corrected up. Okay. Um, so funny that you should mention percentages right off the bat, because for the most part, when you're dealing with alcohol, percentages don't matter for as far as far as classification goes. The percentages don't matter until you get way high up into like the 40 percent um so when you're talking your spirits but okay. um yeah we're getting ahead of ourselves there Let, let's break it down um let's break it down really quick so okay. um again i will i will uh, i will start this with a big disclaimer i'm not 100 a alcohol expert um i have several years in the field but uh, this is not my major field of study and so what i'm i'm about to say is not like the industry terms they're just how i'm going to describe um how i'm going to describe the categorizations hopefully breaking it down so that it's a little more um palatable and it's a little more uh intuitive so uh the way that i would break down the alcohol world in today's industry is um two main branches okay so there are two main branches of alcohol I'm going to call those branches the brewed alcohols and the this distilled alcohols, right? So brewed alcohols versus distilled alcohols. Okay, that helps give us a framework um, for what might go into each of those categories. So you know that we brew beer, so brewing, so beer is probably going to go into the brewed category. That's right. That's correct. Um, we, uh, well. Probably the, not many people know exactly what distilling is, so I'll touch on that later. Let's focus on the brewed stuff first. Um, okay, so brewed alcohol is uh, what I'll call any alcohol that if you're in the United States, you can legally make at home, okay? So brewed alcohol does not require any fancy special equipment. Brewed alcohol requires three things at its base. Um, requires three things it requires yeast water and sugar okay so yeast water and sugar are the three basic things that you need to make a brewed alcohol of some form now uh here's the here's the the kind of catch that sugar 
can come from a variety of sources and that's what makes each different type of brewed alcohol different so when it comes down to beer beer is made from wheat um beer is made from grain in general so you can have rye beers you can have wheat beers um you can have um malt beers malt beers are the most popular you're making them with malted barley um but um those are the things that make beer is any any sort of grain okay um so if it's a grain uh you can brew it into a beer you would break down the sugars usually through boiling and then you would add yeast and the yeast eats up all those sugars and yeast has a byproduct of its eating as alcohol alcohol and carbon dioxide right so um if i may put it in the most crass way possible when you're brewing something when you're brewing alcohol um you are literally drinking yeast poop because yeast goes in it eats the sugars and it poops out alcohol and carbon dioxide so beer um is wheat wine is fruit right so we know most most wine that's consumed in the world is grape wine right but technically any fruit makes a wine so you can have apple wine cherry wine um anything like that if it comes if it comes from a fruit and you use yeast to eat the sugar of the fruit it's going to turn into a wine there's one other category that's uh kind of funny actually because it's technically technically if I, you know if I'm I'm going to be technical here it's technically a form of beer um under my definition it's technically a form of beer but it's not called that at all the last one is sake so for your asian countries they usually have brewed sake um sake is made from rice um the the difference is uh rice's sugar rice's carbohydrate is too complicated for yeast to eat even if you were to brew the rice so you usually need to add an additional um an additional uh what I'll call an organism uh a mold you need to add a mold to to rice it's called koji mold um the koji mold can eat those complex sugars and it breaks them down into smaller sugars and then the yeast eats the smaller sugars and turns that into alcohol and so uh sake while technically a beer because rice is a grain then that's just my definition that's not that's not anything official but rice is technically a grain so i'm calling sake a beer but sake stands on its own because it requires a little more nuance than beer to brew you need to use a mold to break it down and then use the yeast to turn that into alcohol okay so that's that's a brief overview of uh brewed alcohol um beer wine and sake are three big types beer is from grains it can be wheat it can be rye and most commonly it's malted barley um uh wine is from fruit most commonly grape and then sake is from rice um that's all brewed stuff okay so any questions so far is it mm, not yet okay so let's tag along into the distilled side Oh, you know what? I do have something. Go for it. As you're talking, if you would like for uh Sam to kind of present a or you know just demonstrate how to brew something, put it down below. I bet you he'll be super excited to show us how to brew. 
I would absolutely love to. And uh, yeah, we'll film it. We'll go through a process, and I can show you um, what I look for in beer brewing, what I try to the taste that I try to go for. Excuse me, and uh, the ingredients I go for, and why. Um, so if you want to just leave it down below if you're listening on youtube leave a comment letting us know if you're on spotify you know what to do um so you let us know we'll record we we have many many ideas and this is pretty much a good one um i feel that i'm actually interested in learning how to brew a beer so yeah it's a ton it's a ton of fun man it's a little bit of an investment to start but once you get going um it's it's a great way to make a product that you love well, let's do it all right so yeah let's jump into the distilled side here and i think that it's a good segue because uh here's uh, a bit of a secret um all distilled alcohol starts as brewed alcohol hmm. all distilled alcohol starts as brewed alcohol it has to right and here's why is because distilled means that it's exactly like exactly that it's distilled distilling is a process um it's a scientific process so let's get into the science really really quick all right to distill something means that you're bringing it up to a boil and then you're trapping it trapping that gas because for those of you guys that need a quick little science refresher when you boil something you're going from liquid to a gas so distilling is boiling something, turning a liquid into a gas. It's trapping that gas into a certain area or a certain um, you know container. It is then cooling that gas so that it turns back into a liquid through the process called condensation. And the resulting liquid is going to be a more pure form of the liquid that you just um, that you just boiled. Why? Well, in the case of water, um, if you think about it, um, right, water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit, and this is one of the um, one of the most popular ways to purify water, right? We have water distillation plants. We buy distilled water in jugs. It's pure water, and why that works is because when you boil water, you're making the water turn into a gas rise up into the container that you have and it leaves behind any of the impurities that it might have any salts any minerals any uh, bacteria any anything that like is wrong with that water or anything even that's just extra in that water even if it's not wrong is going to be left behind when you boil the water so the water's going to go up it's going to boil and then when you condense it back down when you cool it off provided that you've added nothing to it when you cool it back off, the resulting condensation is just gonna be pure water with literally nothing else in it. That's why if you ever drink distilled water, it it is it is the water that tastes the most like nothing, if that makes any sense. Um, like if you if you get if you get a, a glass of tap water, you get a glass of distilled water, you will immediately taste the difference in that the tap water has some form of taste. Usually yeah, it tastes like metal. Yeah, yeah, usually because there are minerals or metals, um, you know, in, in, in the tap or in the aquifers of your cities. Distilled water tastes like literally nothing. Like, it, it just, it, 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 you, you cannot taste anything. There's nothing in there to taste. Um, and so, yeah, try it yourselves. Go check it out. Anyway, that's what distilling means, right? So, distilled spirits 
are any spirit that's made by distilling alcohol in something else. So um, distilled alcohol, right, happens because alcohol has a lower boiling point than the water. So if you have a solution of alcohol, right, the beer, the wine, or the sake that we just mentioned, if you have a solution of alcohol there, if you have a liquid that has alcohol in it, and you distill it, but you only bring it up to the temperature where alcohol boils and not water, well, hey, guess what? You're extracting all of the alcohol out of that substance. The alcohol is boiling. The water is getting hot, but the water is not boiling because you're not bringing it up to boiling water temperature. You're only bringing it up to alcohol boiling temperature. The alcohol boils. It turns into alcohol vapor. The alcohol vapor um, gets trapped into a compartment, and then you cool it off, and out, and out comes pure alcohol, or as close to pure alcohol as you can get, uh, depending on the way that you distill it. Um, again, that's a little complicated. I'll talk, I, I can, I can talk about the way that you distill things later, but that's the idea. That's the science, right? Distilled spirits are, um, alcohol that's been boiled and then condensed so that it's more concentrated alcohol. That's why beers, wines, and sakes are like five to, uh, the, the heaviest I've seen is like 20%, but they're like five to 20% at max usually around five to uh, 10, right? For beers, a little higher for wines, they're like 13 to 14% um, and about the same for sake, but they're, they're in the low percentage. Whereas um, distilled spirits are almost always at least 40% and they can go up as high as Everclear, which is 95% alcohol. Um, I have a bottle on my shelf over here that's 62% alcohol. That will put some hair on your chest. It is powerful. Um, I need some of that. Oh yeah, yeah. Just let me know. I'll bring you some. It's it is delicious. But you speaking. Have to Go ahead. Speaking of distilled, I recommend a Walcott uh, distilled uh, whiskey. It's great. It tastes so good. And what he means by the the, the distilling, it, it makes a difference. Uh, it's really really good um it's only at 45 percent uh but it's a good whiskey that i recommend especially if you're a, a cigar smoker a walcott um which here you know what? i have the bottle right here it says uh authentic kentucky oh it's a bourbon actually my mistake it's a bourbon which for those who don't know a bourbon and whiskey do have they're, they're they're pretty much the same only that whiskey uh, bourbons are done here in america if i'm not mistaken oh, 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 he's, he's onto something don't worry I'll, uh, I'll, I'll i'll correct any wrong thing that you say but go ahead and keep saying things they're, they're gonna be wrong probably but yeah what is what is your idea what do you know about bourbons and whiskeys and all of that so from my understanding of a bourbon is that it it, it all depends on the way it's barreled and uh i think it's barreled twice if i'm not mistaken or something like that and it's done here in the united states uh as to i think what was the other one i think it's uh rye whatever the whole point is that there's a difference because they're made somewhere else <laughs> but this this if you're a cigar smoker at like myself i'm 
I'm more versed in the cigar world than uh, Sam, and he's more versed in the alcohol part of the, 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 the stuff. But when you mix both together, such as a good, um, I'm going to say a white series Monte Cristo um, with a Walcott uh, bourbon, it's distilled by Barton, and uh, it's really good it's it's i would really i highly recommend it anyways back to the whole differences please correct me there because i know i've told people wrong information okay yeah there there was uh, there was a bit of wrong information there uh it, not it was it wasn't all wrong um but we'll correct that in a sec um uh let's see let's see okay do you want to just dive in hold on before we correct that do you want me to explain the kind of uh, nuances between the, the main distilled spirits first, or do you want to just go into whiskeys? Just go into the whiskey part, yeah. Okay, so um, whiskey, okay, so we, we talked about distilled spirits. Distilled spirits are when you distill alcohol from any other alcoholic liquid. Whiskeys are the distilled form of beer. Okay, so all whiskey is distilled from grain alcohol. What that means is that you need to start with a grain, so malted barley, rye, wheat, technically oatmeal. Um, yeah, technically, uh, I, 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 I've never seen it on the market, um, but you could technically make a whiskey out of oatmeal. Um, because you can make a beer out of oatmeal. Uh, so oatmeal could work. Uh, again, technically rice. Rice would, uh, Because rice is a grain, you can technically make whiskey out of rice. Um, and uh, corn, right? Corn is a grain, um, and you could make whiskey out of corn. So the big four in the whiskey world are rye, wheat, malted barley, and corn, right? Those are the big four that you see all whiskeys being made of. So the way that the whiskey works is um, you, you basically brew a beer because you're getting one of those grains. You're bringing it up to a boil to break down the sugars. You're throwing yeast in it to make alcohol. And then once the alcohol has been made, instead of bottling it up and drinking it as a beer, you put it in a still to boil the alcohol and turn it into whiskey. So the, the, the alcohol that comes out of a still, uh, the alcohol that comes out of a still that brewed, uh, sorry, that, that distilled um, wheat alcohol, so that's a beer, is whiskey. Okay, that's 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 the that's the basic basic um, definition. Uh, technically, wait wait hold on, sorry, I'm thinking about uh, my. There's a bunch. There is a bunch of technicalities in the whiskey world. Um, technically most whiskey is aged in a barrel now here's the uh, the nuance between what you said and what you know whiskey is whiskey is the overarching category right so whiskey is any distilled spirit that is made from grain and aged in a barrel bourbon is a particular type of whiskey bourbon is a very specific kind of whiskey Bourbon, uh, in fact, I, I want to say that bourbon has the most regulations 
um, of any of any main whiskey in the world to be called a bourbon, a true bourbon. Okay, the reason for that is because uh, in order to be considered a bourbon, you need to be made from at least fifty-one percent corn. Okay, so it's not just that it's not just that you are you have some corn in the the beer that you made. The 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 makeup of all of the grain has to be at least 51%. So it's got to be mostly corn, okay? So a bourbon is a, is a mostly corn whiskey. That bourbon has to be made not in Kentucky. That, that's a common misconception. Bourbon does not have to come from Kentucky, but Kentuckians will often say that it does. And a real bourbon, uh, real bourbon is not made outside of Kentucky. That's they do have the know. best bourbon, though, in my opinion. Yeah, the, the 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 stereotype exists for a reason. Um, K- Kentucky bourbons are are most commonly the the sought after bourbons, right? Um, but it does not have to be made in Kentucky to be considered a bourbon. It just has to be made in the states, right? That is a caveat. It needs to be made in the United States. It needs to be aged in a barrel. Um, so uh, I correct myself. Uh, not all whiskey needs to be aged in a barrel to be considered whiskey. Only some whiskeys need to be aged in a barrel, and bourbon is one of them. Bourbon needs to be aged in a barrel. Um, but and here's a uh, here's a little fact that I'll drop a funny a funny uh, other fact about later on. Um, there is no time limit for how long bourbon needs to be aged in a barrel. So you can age bourbon for as long or as little as you want and still call it a bourbon. The, the other thing that needs to happen is that bourbon needs to be aged in a new oak barrel. What that means is it has to be a barrel that has literally never been used for aging anything else. If any other whiskey has been aged in that barrel, you can never make a bourbon in it again. So a virgin barrel. barrel. It, yeah, a virgin barrel. It needs to be a virgin barrel. If anything else has been put in that barrel beforehand, you cannot make a bourbon in that in that barrel okay um so that's that's the qualifications um so the funny thing uh just funny fact real real quick uh there i forgot what company it is but there is a company that sells what they call a seven second bourbon um because um they don't age it for like two years or ten years or six years like many other whiskey um, distilleries like to say about their bourbons, right? Oh, our bourbon is aged for this many years, and so um, you know it's uh, you know it has this particular flavor, or whatever. Uh, no, there's a company that makes a, 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 a bourbon that's a seven-second bourbon because they throw it in the barrel for seven seconds. It is then officially aged because it's been inside of a barrel. And then they pour it back out, um, and so hmm. yeah, it's 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 technically a bourbon. They they followed all the legal requirements, but it has none of the the bourbon taste that you get from a more aged bourbon. Um, Do you know if it's that, good? I've never tried it before, so I don't I don't know if it's good. Um, I, I know that it exists uh, because it's hilarious. Um, another fun fact that the that particular spirit that they have, the seven second bourbon. It's crystal clear. It's a whiskey mm. and it's a bourbon, but it's crystal clear. It looks like uh, vodka. Yeah, it looks like vodka. That might be weird to you if you don't know why bourbons are brown or caramel or yellow in uh, in uh, straw color um, in uh, in appearance. That's because 
whiskey only gets its color after it's been aged. So the longer that whiskey stays in a barrel, the more it's aged, the more color it actually is absorbing from that wood. Okay, I have a question. Go for it. So would you say that the darker the bourbon, the better the bourbon? No, not necessarily. Okay. The darker the bourbon, the more aged the bourbon has been, but that's not necessarily a good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not a bad thing either. Uh, It's just what you're looking for in a bourbon, right? Because you can age age a bourbon to kingdom come. Um, The problem is, um, so so, uh, when you age any any alcohol, the alcohol is gonna deplete because the wood absorbs some of that alcohol and then the the alcohol gets evaporated on the outside of the barrel. So the longer you age uh, an alcohol, actually the less of it you have um, because hmm. it starts it starts to evaporate. Um, so there the that is that that is one of the reasons, believe it or not, that is one of the reasons why longer aged whiskey is more expensive. It isn't it isn't because it necessarily tastes better or it's a better quality product. A good a good a good portion of why it's more expensive is because since they aged it for that long, they lost like half of the product, right? If you age a whiskey for two years, a little bit of it's going to be lost, but you know, not a whole lot. You'll still get a perfectly fine amount of whiskey. You'll still have most of what you started with. If you age a whiskey for 40 years, you're going to have like maybe an eighth of what you started with. And so, um, you know, the longer you age it, the more concentrated it's going to get and the um, the less of it you're going to have so so the older the bourbon oh the longer it's aged the less uh alcohol percentage that you're going to get uh not necessarily uh, because okay. Oh, okay well well uh, let me correct that uh yes the longer it's aged the higher alcohol content it's going it's going to have straight out of the barrel Okay. So if you, if you have if you have a if you have a lot of bottles of whiskey on your shelf like I do, and you read the labels, or if you go to a liquor store and you read a lot of the labels, you may run into a label that's that's labeled barrel proof, right? What that means is that they took that whiskey straight out of the barrel and they threw it in a bottle, and there was no in between. Okay. That is rare. Most whiskey, uh, most whiskey that's on the shelves is actually watered down because straight out of the barrel, a barrel-proof whiskey is usually around 60, 50 to sixty percent, because, um, yeah, the the um, the water evaporates, it becomes more concentrated, um, and you're going to have a um, a higher percentage alcohol product in that barrel. Um, so. Yeah. So is that why you see a number and proof in parentheses? What do you mean a number and proof? Well, well, the the number proof is uh is just the alcohol percentage, right? The proof is a uh, proof is the way that we measure alcohol percentage, and it's a very simple formula. Okay. Proof is double the alcohol percentage. Okay. So if you have something that's eighty proof, it's forty percent alcohol. Okay. Oh, alcohol. okay. 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 I see what you mean. All right. Yeah, because my, for example, this bottle says forty-five percent, and then it says ninety proof. Right. So, so yeah, ninety proof, ninety 
the proof is the technical term, the legal term, I guess, for the percentage alcohol it is. Um, mm. All it is is double the double the alcohol percentage. Oh, okay. So if it's ninety proof, it's forty five percent. Okay. Um, legally, legally, when whiskey makers put their whiskey in a bottle, they cannot dilute it less than forty percent. So this is why whenever you go to a liquor store and you're looking for whiskeys, and this is true of all the all the main types of spirits, um, unflavored vodka, um, rum, whiskey, and tequila, all have to be a minimum of forty percent alcohol. Otherwise, they cannot call themselves rum, whiskey, tequila, or um, unflavored vodka. If it's less than that, it is a different spirit. Um, if it's higher than that, it's it's fair game, right? Um, but you can you must have a minimum of forty percent. So they, the whiskey makers will take the, uh, the juice that's in that barrel, they'll put it in a bottle, they'll mix it with water um, until it's the right percentage that they want, um, and that's that's how proofing works. Hmm. Okay. Wow. I'm yeah, wow. I'm like I'm like all shook. <laughs> Yeah, a lot, a, a lot of information. Uh, there's a lot behind the alcohol world that you may not even know. Oh yeah, no, I bet. I mean, I'm a person who likes whiskey, but I usually go with what like I kind of know, which is very little. But I go based off of that, and you normally I'm right. Um, but what I didn't know was the difference between a, a the bourbon. Just, just so you're aware, in the United States, that is the only legal place that whiskey can be made. But you cannot, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot ever make distilled spirits on your own with a still. The reason for it is, is I mean, it kind of, kind of goes back to prohibition. Um, during prohibition, when alcohol is illegal, uh, okay, uh, ooh, where, where, where do I start? So. During prohibition, when alcohol was illegal, people were making their own—they're making their own beer and making their own whiskey, right? They were moonshiners, so they were making their own whiskey illegally because alcohol was completely outlawed during prohibition. Now, here's the problem, all right? So, so the process that I described to you—how you make um, distilled spirits—very, very dangerous. You want to know why? Why? Uh, alcohol. Alcohol is this. Um, it, it has this this special property where um, it tends to uh, explode when you light Ooh. it on fire. <laughs> uh. Alcohol is very very flammable and very 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 explosive. So hey, you want to know what you need to do in order to get alcohol to evaporate? Put it in a barrel. No 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 no. Oh. Uh, well, yes, that, uh, sorry, wrong term. You're correct, that's how it evaporates. How do you get alcohol to boil? Put it in a container? Put it in a container, but what, what do you need to do with the container? Put it on top of a flame? Put it on top of a flame! And especially in the 1920s when they didn't have electric stoves to distill their alcohol with, you would have to get a still, put it on an open flame, and start making those alcohol vapors. Hey, 
alcohol vapor, a very, very flammable gas and explosive gas, and open flames are a very dangerous combo. And so you have you have this um, you have this epidemic really of people blowing themselves up, making moonshine in the 1920s during Prohibition. Not only that, but here's the other thing. Um, ha, uh, when you make alcohol, when you distill alcohol, did you realize that you have to do it just right, otherwise you're gonna poison people? Oh. Yeah. So when you distill alcohol, you have three sections of alcohol. You have what is called the heads, the hearts, and the tails. All of the alcohol that we that is put on shelves is the hearts, right? Because what happens is when you start distilling alcohol and you condense it back down, the first bits of alcohol that are distilled are the heads. Um, these are going to be the ickiest and often the, the most poisonous uh, parts of alcohol. You, uh, usually when you uh, boil the alcohol, the compounds that are in the alcohol do end up staying with the alcohol a little bit. Or um, it's maybe not just the compounds, but it's the type of alcohol that's boiled off is the poisonous type of alcohol. It's not ethanol that you drink, but it can be the, you know, like the... Um, you know that you can't drink rubbing alcohol, meth methanol, right? Because it'll make you go blind. Um, well, the same kind of like thing, when you boil alcohol that you make from beer, um, you're messing with it and it, uh, the heads and the tails, the first parts of the alcohol that are boiled are disgusting. They don't taste very good and they can be poisonous. So you need to know when to start collecting and when to throw away the first parts of alcohol. And when you start collecting, that's called a cut. You always want to cut the heads so that you have good alcohol. And then once you get to the end of the boil, once you get to the end of the distill process, you cut again because you also don't want the last bits of alcohol that are distilled. Those are called the tails. Now, if I remember correctly, the tails are not going to be poisonous necessarily, but they're going to have very icky and rancid tastes, and they're going to make your batch of alcohol just taste awful, and so you want to throw those away too, or use them for something else. Um, and so, um, for, that re for that reason, and more so for the reason of the exploding bits, it's 100% illegal in the United States to brew your own, sorry, to distill your own um, spirit. So it's just straight up dangerous. Yeah, it is 100% straight up dangerous. Um, um, yeah, do so, okay, so just to clear, to up. for those who don't know, Prohibition era was, uh, weirdly enough, it was an era between the 1920s and the 1930s also known as the Roaring Twenties. So although we had the best economy here in America, there was a prohibition, meaning they prohibited the sale of alcohol. Uh, so people had to go underground. That's when the mafia really took off, uh, pretty much. So for those who don't know history or don't really care about it, but want to kind of understand what he's talking about when he says prohibition, that's what he means. Uh, the era where alcohol was just forbidden to be sold here in the United States for a span of like 10, 13 years. Um, I'm a history nerd, so I just 
wanted to throw that out there to kind of put everything together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it is what I call one of the darkest times in American history. Um, Why is that? Uh, well, that, that, okay, that is a little outside of the scope of this episode, but the reason I say that, uh, it's, it's, it's half in joke. Uh, the reason I say that is because prohibition is the reason that income tax exists today. Mm. Because when when they when they passed prohibition, right, the country was like, wait, we make a we make a bunch of money off the tax of alcohol sales. So if we're going to make alcohol sales illegal, how are we going to get money from taxes? And someone else had the bright idea of saying, oh, let's in, let's implement an income tax. So whenever anyone makes money, we're just gonna take money from them right away. That's genius. Let's do it. And I hate that. Prohibition was repealed, and the income tax was not. And so to this day, we have to pay money to the government just for making money, and we still have to pay money for buying alcohol because there's still an alcohol sales tax. And so they, and so the, the government. The government stole from us twice, basically. And they're still but, stealing because I need that money. Exactly. But, you know, <laughs> but anyways, that's a different topic. We can get into that next time. But yeah, um, okay, so you were talking about it's pretty much dangerous. Um, it's very extremely dangerous. Now yes. I don't want to make my own bourbon at home. Correct. That's a very, very bad thing. Okay, caveat. Actually... You can make your own bourbon at home as long as someone else already, as long as a distillery already distilled the alcohol itself. Um, so this is actually pretty funny too. Uh, some some companies sell make your own bourbon kits. And what it is, is they, they, gave, they give you the distilled alcohol and they give you like a little mini barrel. And so you put the alcohol in the barrel yourself, right? And so you're, you're technically making your own bourbon because you have the distilled alcohol and you're putting it in the barrel, but you, you didn't actually distill the alcohol yourself. Um, and so, mm. yeah, funny, funny little caveat there. You can, in fact, make your own bourbon at home. Oh, wow. You can distill it at home. Well, nice. Well, I feel like our listeners have heard more than enough of, um, of our alcohol talk today. Um, which there's going to be more, which is why I think I'm I'm, I'm actually stopping it uh, a little early because I have a little surprise that that came up just as you were talking. I was like, you know what? I have a nice little plan. Uh, so to talk more about the alcohol and Catholicism and everything else, uh, we're, we're we're going to record a very special episode. How is it going to be done? Don't know. When is it going to be done? Don't know. But it's going to happen. Um, so before we end this, I just like to, for all those who've actually came on here and heard all the way through, uh, we really do appreciate it. Um, and if you'd like to support our mission, our new found hobby, I guess, um, help us bring. So we had technical difficulties last time, right, Sam? We did. It was unfortunate. 
Yeah, it, we were on a roll. We we try to record video, audio, and it just didn't work out. So, which is why I'd like to uh, truly encourage you, uh, and if you find it in your heart to help us, you know, uh, bring about this this podcast um, and bring you good content. Actually, bring you good good content. It, this is the first time, and hope it's the last time that we do it just audio um support and i don't mean just monetary i also mean spread the word um uh, you don't have to give money or donations or whatever but do spread the word we're trying to do this uh because we love it i love it uh, i'm pretty sure sam loves it if not he wouldn't be up at 11 p.m recording an episode uh and so once again we want to bring some good content so once again you can find us on instagram at pint pipes and cross uh, and on youtube under the same name uh and spotify so go check us out re- see the rest of the episodes catch up and we'll be talking soon so i am your host jose and Sam is a co-host. Sorry, I, I did not get the signal. I'm sorry. Co-host Sam. Yeah, this is uh, we're, we're new at this, so please forgive us. <laughs> I'm gonna try to edit as much as possible, so to, to make it to save it at least. And hopefully next time we'll be face to face. Maybe the audio won't be the best, but hey, it's we're doing the best we 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 can with what we have, and so. With that being said, may God bless you and and hope you tune in next time. Yeah, God bless.